0: We're going to resume a study that we started two and a half plus years ago, The Life and Times of Elisha. We started way back in January 2020 and paused it just a few months later in March. Uh, There was a certain event that that shut us down for a while. Um, And then I was very busy. And John, of course, as always, is gracious to teach. And we appreciate you, brother, for your hard work. We made it through uh, ten studies in the life and times of Elisha, and embedded in those stories, as I like to find, are these lessons that help us to know how to live, uh, how to know God better, and to find encouragement from the Scripture. And we're going to do a review, uh, a little bit different. I don't have one text, but we're going to sort of review what we looked at two and a half years ago. You might say, Brett, I heard that before. You did for the most part, I tried to pull out some salient points and, and thinking broadly about Elisha, the man of God, which is our title. And by the way, he's referred to as the man of God 29 times. And uh, there are 55 references to man of God in the book, books of First and Second Kings. And primarily it's of Elisha. Elijah only had six. So Elisha asked that he would have the, the double portion, and maybe there's something there, I don't know, but um, he's referred to as the man of God, God's man, uh, 29 times, primarily in Second Kings, which is where his ministry really kicked off. Uh, just thinking back to what we looked at, we looked at his anointing in First Kings 19. He was several years a, a helper to Elijah, and he surely learned a lot uh, in that season. And then as we jump forward to 2 Kings, we see when Elijah is taken away, Elisha is there and sees it. And his ministry, if you will, commences and the miracles begin And uh, with the parting of the water, which we'll look at. But then he, maybe we'll say his second miracle, he had this blessing of the bad water and a curse of the bad boys. Uh, If you remember those lads that the bears came down and tore up. And then we looked at uh, the victory given by God, or we called it the fellowship of the kings. We'll, we'll hit a little bit of that today. Uh, Israel, Judah, Edom, when they fought against Moab, or God actually uh, destroyed, uh, caused them to be destroyed as they were tricked by the sun on the water that looked like blood, and then they their um, the alliance destroyed them. And then we looked at the widow whose debt was paid by God, this a poor widow who had two sons that were going to be taken because her husband died and he owed a lot of money. But God rescued her and her sons and then gave all that oil so that she could live the rest of her life. Then we saw another woman, the Shunammite woman. Her hospitality was rewarded by God. And it was a good reminder to me that we really, as believers, um, should excel in hospitality. Uh, she had no son, but God rewarded her with a son. And then that son died, and the next study was the boy resurrected by God. So God gave her this son, and that son died, and then God resurrected that son. And then we're up to 2 Kings 4, where they were serving the stew, and the stew, they threw in these strange herbs and gourds, and it was poisonous. And yet God um, changed it. Uh, By his power and made it healthy. And God brought all this bread down. And so the sons of the prophets had good stew and good bread from God. I know this is challenging us early on Sunday morning. uh, But just going back. And honestly, these are stories that we probably forget. Maybe a few of you remember all of them. uh, But I was convicted that these are stories that we don't often think of. So just hitting the highlights. Then we saw this general Uh, the Aramean general, Naaman, the leper, remember him? And he uh, heard about Elisha and made it to Elisha, and God cured this leper, the general of the Arameans, and it seems he was converted, uh, reading between the lines. And he was a pagan Aramean, and more of that later. Then we see his assistant, Elisha had an assistant, does anyone remember his name? Gehazi, yes. And Gehazi was serving Elisha. Um, I don't think he was training to be a prophet, especially when we see his character and his greed in particular. Gehazi was a greedy man and he ended up being cursed by God and the very leprosy that God took from uh, Naaman, he put on Gehazi and even for his family. So we, we'll see more of that today. And then finally, we concluded those few years ago with the four preservations of God where God rescued uh, the axe head and we saw that Israel was rescued from the Arameans and we saw that Elisha was also rescued from the Arameans and then God actually rescued the Arameans from the hands of the Israelites. So there were these four preservations and and thus that's how far we made it um, back then So just a reminder of 1st and 2nd Kings. We don't know who the author was of 1st and 2nd Kings. It's good to chew on some of those things, but we just don't know. And ultimately, it was the Holy Spirit. We know that. The date, uh, 1st Kings begins with David's departure. David uh, dies, and then, of course, his son Solomon uh, is is installed as the king. But then, a few years later the kingdom is divided and that will be one of the main themes the main theme of these two books the divided kingdom from first kings to second kings 400 years are covered there's a lot of time in these two books and second kings starts around 849 bc the total story would go from about 970 all the way to 538 that's a lot of history in First and Second Kings, so we've got the Northern Kingdom. After the, the, as the civil war began, as the kingdom was divided, northern the Northern Kingdom is, is Israel, and the capital is in where? Do you remember Samaria? Yes, and then we have the Southern Kingdom, which is Judah, and the capital was in Jerusalem. So it's it's challenging as we read these books of Kings to. Figure out, okay, which kingdom are we speaking of? The north, the south. And then each of these kingdoms throughout the history had 20 kings each. So it'll say the king of Israel, the king of Judah. And Judah had a governor as well, uh, Gedaliah, I believe. So about 20 kings each. So it gets very confusing to to figure out who's who. And we'll see that Elisha was primarily working with the northern kingdom, Israel-Samaria. But he also meets... Uh, in one of our passages today, Jehoshaphat, the southern uh, kingdom, the, the king of the south, if you will. So the theme of these two books, we could put it this way, is the demise of the divided kingdom and God's grace displayed in spite of this. It's grievous, uh, what we saw in Solomon and his idolatry, and then the kingdom is, is torn up, is divided in two. And kings, first and second kings, show Much about the idolatry which led to that and resulted from that and the disaster. And we'll see most kings were wicked. There were a few bright lights, but there was much wickedness. And they needed more than ever, I think, the prophets to remind them and to teach them what God's will was for them. One author said, Kings is biographical in structure and theological in perspective. And I think that's a good you may not like history if i say what do you like to read some of you might love to read history some of you might say not so much but these books are history but they are theology as well and one of the things that struck me as i read through the stories of elisha over the last 2 weeks is the emphasis upon god and we will we will hit that but this is theological history interpreted theologically and from a theological perspective. Uh, We talk about our hermeneutic, and uh, historically we have the hermeneutic grammatical, historical, theological, the way we interpret the Bible, the, the grammar, the history, the theology, and I add practical or exclamational. We want to apply the truths that we see in the Scripture. And I think one of the best verses that we should always sort of have as a moniker over the Old Testament, especially the stories, is Romans 15.4. If you want to follow along, Romans 15.4 gives us a wonderful reminder and instruction on how to read the Old Testament, where Paul wrote, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. So, First and Second Kings was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So when we read the stories of Elisha, we should be encouraged and instructed so that we can keep going and persevering to the end. We need all the stories in the Bible and I think most of us would confess we we don't know it as we ought. Uh, We don't often... Even at Wednesday night prayer meeting, pray, Lord, as you did with Elisha. I haven't. Maybe you have. That's great. Let's aspire to not only Elisha, but to have the whole Bible, the knowledge of the Bible uh, in our minds, in our prayers and in our thoughts. So, again, we can talk more about it. John has a whole series on hermeneutics so you can go back and listen to that or you can talk to me later but i think it's helpful just to get these the the big picture if you were on interpreting also we would add that all the prophets the priests priests and kings of course pointed to who to christ yes so as we read about the prophet elisha and all the other prophets they were looking forward to they were types of the prophet to come. So that's good to keep in our minds. And we see God rescuing and saving his remnant and dealing with Israel as a nation. So we see redemptive history, how God worked out his plan in time, ultimately coming to Christ, and that we see all the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ. So keep that in the back of your mind as you read the Bible. There's There's a purpose, there's a goal as we look forward to as they look forward to the coming of Christ, and we look back. That's helpful. Well, then we'll work through a few reminders, and uh, there were many lessons, but I tried to choose a few that might help us to get back in, in, in our minds. Who was Elisha? What was going on? How was God dealing with Israel at this time? And I thought that we would start with his call, which is back in First Kings 19, if you want to Just look at a few verses there, 1 Kings 19, and we'll just pick out a few verses. Verse 16 of 1 Kings 19 says, And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. So God is speaking to Elijah, and he commands him to find Elisha and anoint him, as prophet in your place. So if you're following along, we'll have ten lessons. The first is this. Elisha was appointed by God to be a prophet in the place of Elijah. That's what the verse says. Elisha didn't call himself. He didn't have a feeling what he needed to do. He was called by God, anointed by Elijah, and he would be in the place of Elijah. And we'll see that when Elijah is taken to heaven. Uh, there is Elisha, and he has the mantle, and he asks for the double portion. And then he goes forward and actually does, I believe, double the recorded miracles of Elijah. But he was appointed by God. He didn't call himself. And I think that's important to, to note. And remember what God said about some prophets in Jeremiah 23. He said, I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. It was a a big problem in Israel that false prophets would arise. Now, we don't have that today, do we? Yes, we do have false prophets. Now, prophets in the Old Covenant and the Old Testament were different than uh, prophets, if you will, today, or preachers. Prophets were foretelling some of the future, but they were also forth telling as preachers do today. We forth tell, we tell forth the truth of God and we speak from God. But note that Elisha didn't call himself, he was called by God. Self-appointed leaders, whether in Israel or in the church, will always be a disaster. If you see a person that basically called themselves, it's a problem. The church calls people uh, in, in, in this era, the church calls men to preach, to, to do missions, to be pastors, to be elders. You're not self-appointed. And when someone self-appoints and there's no sending, there's no credentialing of a church, there's a big problem. And it's the same in the Old Testament Uh, This was not a false prophet, but a man that God clearly told Elijah to anoint, and he did, and Elisha followed. Verse 19 of this same chapter says that he, Elijah, found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with twelve pairs of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. He was a working man. He wasn't in the school of the prophets that we know of. He was working in the field as a farmer, and it seems that he was successful because he had so many oxen. Uh, maybe he was from a rich family, again reading between the lines, but he was plowing. And we noted previously that normally God calls us to greater usefulness as we diligently pursue our daily duties. If you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs, wanting to be used by God and not doing your regular duties, well, why would God call you? We know that God says, if you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. And Elisha was working hard, and that's where God called him. He was a farmer, he was plowing, and God called him from that job to a a greater job, if you will though I don't make a distinction between secular and sacred. So do you aspire to to greater usefulness in the kingdom? Then diligently do your job that you have right now. Maybe you're a student. Maybe you're a worker. Do it unto the Lord. If you aspire to greater usefulness, then work hard where you are as unto the Lord. Then once he's anointed... Verse 20, he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please, let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? Some some interesting phrasing here. But at least note in the third place that like Elisha, prompt obedience should mark our lives. When God calls us to do something, you're, you're reading your daily devotion, you're reading the scripture, and you see something that applies to your life right now, do it. Obey. Have prompt obedience. When you're prodded by the Spirit of God, maybe you make a note. I need to do this. Maybe it's in the sermon today when John will be preaching in the next hour, something hits you, and you're like, "I have to do that. I have to reach out to that person. I have to change something at work. I have to cut this out of my life." Prompt obedience to God should mark our lives. When he was called, he didn't say, "Let me think about it." He did say, "I want to go say goodbye to my parents," but he immediately left the oxen, and then he has this big feast for the family with two of the oxen, and and he um, they eat and they celebrate. He gets down to business right away. So I I love that example of prompt obedience. And maybe when you had small kids, you said what we did to delay is to to disobey. Some kids heard that growing up. Um, It's the same with God. If we delay in our obedience, well, it's disobedience. And so we should have this prompt, yes, Lord, your word says it right here. Thank you for showing me. I'm going to do it. Help me, Lord, to do it. Prompt obedience. His heart was ready. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah. And he was faithful. And when you see Elijah being taken up, he didn't run off in fear. He, he, he wanted that double portion. He wanted to have the, spirit of, the power from the Spirit of God to do and to live a life as Elijah was living. And he was with him to the end and he perseveres all the way. And he is a true prophet of God, the man of God. And even one of the kings of Israel uh, notes later in 2 Kings 3.11, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here who used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. He was known to be the servant and the support of Elijah. He was faithful in that until it was his time to take up the mantle, literally, and to be the prophet of God. So again, is God calling you to serve someone or to do something? Do it. May God give us the grace to step up and to step out and to follow the example of our brother, Elisha. And then moving over to 2 Kings 2. We're just going to hit a few of these. 2 Kings 2. As Elisha sought to divide the waters, as Elijah did, Elijah had already went to heaven and he had the mantle and he he basically, uh, in one sense, wanted to test test the waters, uh, literally. And so he is going to um, seek to divide the waters by the power of God. And it's it's somewhat of a prayer, I believe, in Second 2 Kings 2.14. Excuse me, where he says, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Where is the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of Elijah? And I note, This point in lesson four, it's never been about men, but it's all about the Lord. He didn't say, where's Elijah? I need him to come back. We have to replace Elijah. No, he wants the Lord, the God of Elijah. And I think it's significant. And you'll see through the studies in Elisha and any person of God. They're more concerned about the God of people than the people themselves. And, of course, the God of Elisha is our God. And I love the hymn that we sing, The God of Abraham Praise." Abraham's God is mine. And, of course, the Father of Jesus Christ is our Father. And so, just stepping back a minute, let us beware of focusing too much on men. We've heard this a lot from Tom, and I appreciate the exhortation. We're not about following the great preachers, the celebrity preachers, or even even the elders here. No, no good man or woman wants you to follow them. We're pointing to someone else. Uh, as John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. We should be shrinking, if you will, in size in, in our, and also in our esteem of men. We can have Hebrews 11 and we can appreciate all the men and women of God, but it's not ultimately about men or women. It's about the Lord. And I think that's helpful to remind us. And we, you've probably seen people that have followed a man, have followed some leader. And what happens when that man stumbles? And what are the consequences to that ministry? And and cults get established that way. So let us always beware. It's about the Lord. It's not about us. We're all disposable. And even Elijah was disposable. Even Elijah was taken away. So we appreciate our heroes of the faith. But in the other sense, they pale in comparison to our great God. So it's never been about men. Ultimately, it's about the Lord. Yet when Elisha struck the waters with that mantle, they were divided here and there, and Elisha crossed over. This is the first miracle we have recorded. And Elijah was taken, and Elijah just had Completed the same miracle. When they went over, he did that, and now Elisha is going backwards geographically, and he hits the water, and the water's divided here and there so he can walk through. So, lesson five just as God called Elisha, he also credentialed him. It wasn't just that he had this name, but he actually had the power, he had the ability, he had the gift of the, these miraculous, um, he had the ability by God to cause miracles. Cause isn't the right word. God caused the miracles through Elisha. He was God's man for the times. The second miracle quickly followed in 2.21. He's traveling his ministry has commenced. He's moving forward. And he finds out about in 221, he went out to the spring of water. The water was bad. They couldn't drink it. And he threw salt in it and said, thus says the Lord, I have purified these waters. There shall not be from their death or unfruitfulness any longer. It was maybe women could not have babies after this water. There was, there was death. There was unfruitfulness in these waters, and again, God gave Elisha this power, and he was God's man, and he often would have these illustrations. Here he throws salt, and he always said, get something, do something, put something in it, and he throws salt into the water, and there is no unfruitfulness later, and that becomes good water. He spoke from God, and I love those Words, thus says the Lord. And all the prophets of God uh, would say that. Some false prophets would try to say the same thing. But true prophets of God speak these words, thus says the Lord. And I observed in the past, rejoice when God's minister's first words are, thus says the Lord. Whether the prophets of old or the preachers and pastors today, when the minister comes up and he says those beautiful words, please open your Bibles. That's a great way to begin a message. It doesn't have to be, but we want to hear what God says. And if you, young person, one day move away and you have to find a church for yourself or for you and your spouse and your children, you want to go to a church where the emphasis is, the emphasis is upon, thus says the Lord. It is written... Jesus often quoted "The Scriptures. It is written. We need the Bible. Some, my son met someone at UW this week who came up to him and said, "Did you know that God is a mother?" That's interesting evangelism. and my son was, was shocked with it, and his first thought was, well, where's that in the Bible?" And I was really glad that that was, you know, where did this come from? And that should be our thought. Like the Bereans, we search the scriptures to see if it's so. We need the Bible. We, we say chapter and verse. Where is that in the scripture? Not just one obscure reference or unclear, but no, what does the Bible teach from Genesis to Revelation? That is very clear and there is a lot there. So as the prophets of old said, thus says the Lord, we should be desiring, what does the scripture say? That's why we have expository preaching in the life of Christ, in the book of Genesis, and coming in the book of Hebrews, or even a topical study. We want to know, what does the text say? And I know I'm preaching to the choir, but a good reminder to us, and we rejoice, it's the scripture we love the Bible and we're coming up in two weeks to Reformation Sunday and we'll do a review there. And one of the great doctrines that was recovered in, the, in and during the Reformation was sola scriptura, the Bible alone. And people died to get us this book. Anyhow, getting, getting astray a bit. But just think of Paul's words to the Corinthians. He said, we are not like many peddling the word of God. But as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. So, when John, Tom, or I, or anyone that preaches here, when we're gone, they cannot stand up and say, well, this is what I think. We may give an opinion at points, but ultimately, we speak as from God. This is the truth of God, and therefore, it's authoritative. That's important. Thus says the Lord. Moving forward to 2 Kings 3. 2 Kings 3. Trouble was brewing for Israel. Big time. And listen to 2 Kings 3 verses 13 and 14 to get a little bit of the context. And I hope jumping around is not too uh, challenging. It's it's a lot, I know. Uh, Verse 13. Now Elisha said to the king of Israel, and that's Jehoram, what do I have to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father, Ahab, and to the prophets of your mother, Jezebel. And the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three, things, three kings together, Is that's Israel, Judah, and Edom was helping out, to give them into the hand of Moab. Uh, Jehoram was afraid, and he's... He's um, Elisha is correcting him and Elisha said as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand were it not that I had regard for the presence of Jehoshaphat the king of Judah I would not look at you or see you did Elisha like uh, King Jehoram? he, he was disgusted at, at what? what was he disgusted about? What did Ahab and Jezebel, what were they well known for? Pardon? Worshipping idols. idols. The perennial problem of the Israelites and the kings of Israel, they were mixing true religion with false religion by having idols. And Elisha could not bear, and he was disgusted with King Jehoram who was uh, seeking some help, and he didn't even want to talk to him, but Jehoshaphat was a godly king. And so Elisha had deference to him and was willing to help. Right, uh, Elisha had this righteous anger toward Jehoram because he was evil. He was an idolater. He was leading Israel more and more into idolatry with his false gods and trying to mingle in the true God. He mentions the Lord. But he he had other gods with the Lord, which is wicked. So lesson seven, like Elisha, the righteous, us, we ought to be jealous for God's glory. The prophets of old, the true prophets of God, were jealous for God's glory, like Elisha. And he could not bear with the idolatry of Jehoram. And he mentions his father and mother. They were the idolaters. Uh, Ahab was was extremely wicked. And you remember some of that history or you can review it. It reminded me of Psalm 119.53. Burning indignation has seized me because of the wicked who forsake your law. And these were supposed to be the people of God, yet they had so many idols. They were worshiping so many false gods and Elisha was disgusted with it. And so should we be. And when we see... Uh, error and false doctrine and idolatry, we should be disgusted whether among the people of God or in the world because we're jealous for God's glory. And is God jealous for his own glory? Absolutely. He's a jealous God. He's a consuming fire. So we need to be a bit like Phineas, not that we're spearing people through, but we should be jealous for the glory of God. And if that marks our lives, what a testimony that will be. Of course, in godliness. We're not crusaders, literally, uh, with swords. That's not how the kingdom of God is advanced. But we should be disgusted and outraged, especially when we see falsehoods among the people of God. Moving forward, 2 Kings chapter 4, we mention that poor widow, she's unnamed. And then immediately following, there's this prominent, woman it's interesting the 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 beauty of inspiration when we see these parallels this poor widow this this rich woman this prominent woman and how God deals with them the poor woman had a dead husband that God uh, God would rescue this this widow with her two sons. And then the prominent woman, he, he gave a son, but then the son died, and God raised that dead son. And then at the end of the chapter, we see that deadly pot, that poisonous pot. So I noted in, in that big chapter, uh, many verses in Second Kings 4, that God dealt with a dead husband, a dead son, and, and a deadly pot of stew. Some interesting parallels how God brings together the scripture. And then chapter 5 of 2 Kings, we come to Naaman the leper. Fascinating. This, this Aramaean uh, captain or general who had leprosy. John mentioned it a few weeks ago in, in Sunday school about leprosy. And, uh, verse 14 of chapter 5, so he, that's Naaman, went down and, and Elisha had told him how to get healed. He went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan and he was not happy about going down there. He wanted to go up to the rivers uh, in Aram and they're named off earlier, but he did go down finally because his people said, listen, to give it a try. Go dip yourself. He did. He dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Was was Naaman uh, among the covenant people of God? Was, was Naaman an Israelite? No, he was an Aramean. This is fascinating. And lesson eight was God's sovereignty is surprising and beyond finding out. Naaman, or even uh, the the widow, these wh- why were these taken care of and not others? There's only one reference to the time of Elisha explicitly that I could find in in the New Testament, unless you count Hebrews 11, where women received back their sons. That could be a reference to Elijah and Elisha. But in Luke 4.25, where the people of Jesus' town were, were complaining, and, and yet they were proud about that he was from their town. Uh, why wasn't he doing this and that? And he says to them, but I tell you... In truth, Jesus is speaking. There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, none of the Israelite widows, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow, a Gentile woman who was a widow. The least expected. And then he adds, coming to our passage here, and there were many lepers in Israel. And twice Jesus tells these Israelites, his kinsmen, in Israel, in Israel. And in the times of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian or the Aramean. Is it it unjust of God to... Rescue the widow at Zarephath? Is it unjust of God to heal Naaman the Syrian? No. Because God is sovereign. So God's sovereignty is surprising. Why would he do that? For his own good reasons, for his own good pleasure. God rescued that widow at Zarephath. He didn't rescue all the widows of Israel, yet he rescued a pagan. Well, she she believed in God. She was not among the people of God. But she definitely, by the end, it seems, had faith in the true God. And now this man, who was a, a pagan captain of the Aramaeans, he is healed of his leprosy. God can save anyone he chooses. Sometimes we pray for people for years and years or we think, maybe we don't say it, but... I mean, they're unsavable. They're they're so bad. They're so far gone. They're so hard-hearted. No, if they're alive, He is able to save the most unlikely. Was Saul of Tarsus a likely candidate to be saved? No, He was persecuting the people of God. And here, here are these two examples that reveal God's sovereign grace to reach out to that widow and particularly Naaman, who by the end he, he sounds like he's converted. Um, you know, sometimes it's hard to know for sure, but you can read his story. But at least God healed him. So let us be encouraged to pray to our sovereign God for people and to just be amazed and, and to worship God that he would do such a thing. But then there's an immediate contrast. God rescued the Gentile Naaman, but he curses the, the, the Jewish helper of Elisha, Gehazi. So there was a, a, um, a cure and a curse. Naaman was cured. Gehazi was cursed because he was greedy. He's the epitome of greediness. And the leprosy that Naaman had was sent to Gehazi. And it reminded me of Proverbs 21.6. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor, the pursuit of death. If we get money by lying, by cheating, we're on the road to big trouble. That's what God says in his word. So listen to uh, what happened at the end of Second Kings 5 there, if you want to read it for yourself. Verse 27, Elisha is speaking, Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper as white as snow. What a curse. What a tragedy because of Gehazi's greed. He was the helper to Elisha. Yet he was condemned by God with the leprosy. You might think of Ananias and Sapphira who lied to the Holy Spirit and they were killed by God. So we need to have a biblical view of God and take sin seriously. It must be dealt with on the cross or in hell and or even as believers that are forgiven. There are consequences to our sins. So there's a lot of warnings. If you, if you're tempted to greed, go back and read the story of Gehazi. Well, as we wind down our review today, I hope you've been encouraged and uh, reminded of a few things from the example of Elisha, how we can live. Uh, he was the man of God. He had great faith, and yet, and, and we love our heroes, as we said at the beginning, but remember, or learn in the in the last place, behold, something greater than Elisha is here. So we have these heroes of the faith. We have the Hall of History in Hebrews 11. We have Second Kings 1 and following to see, Lord, make me like Elisha, or previously, make me like Elijah. Yet, something greater than Elisha is here, using the words of Jesus when he told those that were listening, something greater than Jonah is here, something greater than Solomon is here. And we could say that about everybody. Because Christ is so much greater and we have this hermeneutic that reminds us that Christ is greater than all those prophets. It doesn't take away, but it puts it in perspective. So yes, have your heroes, but make sure that we know that Christ is better. And we'll see in Hebrews, Christ is greater than all the prophets. He is the prophet. He's greater than angels. He's greater than Moses and so forth and so on. So just in review, Elisha was appointed by God to be a prophet in the place of Elijah. Appointed by God. Secondly, normally God calls us to greater usefulness as we do our daily duties. Let us do all things to the glory of God. Third, like Elisha, prompt obedience should mark our lives. He was a man of obedience. Lord, make us like Elisha in that regard. Fourth, it's never been about men, but it's all about the Lord. He didn't say, where's Elijah? We can't go on. It's a disaster. Sometimes God does greater things when the hero is taken away. We're all expendable. Fifth, just as God called Elisha, he also credentialed him. He he gave him the the power, if you will. He blessed his ministry with these miracles that he did through the hand of Elisha. Sixth, rejoice when God's minister's first words are, thus says the Lord. Please open your Bibles. We love the scripture. It's a precious book. Seventh, like Elisha, the righteous ought to be jealous for God's glory. We should be disgusted at idolatry in our own hearts. Or possibly in the church or in Christianity and definitely in the world. We are grieved, we are vexed by the wickedness around us because we want God and Christ to be glorified. Ninth, or excuse me, eighth, God's sovereignty is surprising and beyond finding out. Naaman, the leper, was healed. The pagan. Ninth, stand in awe, the God who, who cures can also Curse. He cured Naaman, but he cursed Gehazi. We need to have a full orbed view of who God is. And finally, behold, something greater than Elisha is here. Well, please let me know if you have any questions afterwards. We'll we'll conclude now. And uh, next week, we will commence with 2 Kings 6, verses 24 to the end. And yes, it's about cannibalism. So pray that God would illuminate his word and instruct us his word is profitable for teaching and correction to make us adequate to live the Christian life. So let's conclude with prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to review a bit of the life and times of Elisha. Lord, may these reminders, these lessons be profitable, but write your word upon our hearts. We Love the scripture. We love the word of truth. Lord, sanctify us by it. May we be equipped as we read our Old and New Testament. May we know the Bible better. Lord, help us to remember. We forget so much, Lord. Forgive us for that. We remember a lot of trivia in our lives, but yet the scripture we forget. Lord, forgive us and forgive me of that. Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity and may you bless the the future studies here May you be with us in the hour to come and give John boldness and meet with us. May we be a people excited and and jealous for your glory. May we want to see your name lifted up and may our singing and our prayers and our teaching and preaching resound to the glory of God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.